Psalm 67, when you get there, I want to make a few introductory remarks on the text so that when we read it, you know some things to look for. And then before reading the text, I'm also going to ask Brayton, if he would, to ask the blessing on the reading. But if you're there, let me just note a few things before we pray and read the text. I want you to have some familiarity with how this was used by the ancient Hebrews, so you might better connect to its meaning. Psalm 67 is an anonymous psalm. We do not know the author, but we do know by the superscription that it was delivered to the chief musician of the temple in order to be used in sacred worship. We also know that it was designed to be accompanied by neganoth, or a stringed instrument. Not only that, but we also see the word Selah, uh, which is probably, not certainly, but probably a musical notation which uh, includes a pause or an interlude for contemplation. Um, It might be extended Neganoth solo. We don't know for certainty, but there's probably a pause there. And, And I suspect this psalm was used as a harvest song. When you look down at verse 6, It speaks of the earth yielding her increase. And so very likely this is a psalm that was used by those who were bringing the first fruits of their harvest to the temple as a gift to the Lord. So as we read this psalm, I want you to notice there is a focus that is inward. What we want, you know, the very first verse, God bless us. There is a focus outward what others need, right? let the nations be glad, and then there is a focus upward to what God deserves. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. So listen as we read for that inward and outward and upward attention and see how those weave together in this psalm. Okay, I think we're ready. Braden, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word, please? To the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That your way 
may be known on earth your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. We ask for God's blessings. We teach our children to ask for God's blessings. It is good and right that we do that, but we seldom stop and ask ourselves why it's right. Why does God bless you? Why should God bless you? If you pull open the search engine on your phone or computer and you just Google the words God and bless, no doubt you'll get a lot of ideas, but very few of them would be good. Most likely you would be inundated with messages of the prosperity gospel. God will bless you. He has to bless you because that is why God exists. He is like a a genie in a bottle. Prayer is just how you rub the magic lamp in order to get him to come out and grant your wishes. In fact, prayer isn't really asking for God's blessings. It is demanding God's blessings. Because of course, God's glad to do it because you are the end goal of all that he does. Of course, we repudiate the prosperity gospel as utter nonsense. God does not answer at your beck and call with buckets of blessings that he's toting around just in in case you happen to ring for him at that moment. You are not the end goal of all that God does. However, we can mindlessly fall into the same kind of trap. Instead of thinking, you know, God blesses us because that's what he exists to do, we think, well, God blesses us because we deserve it. Ancient Israel would have said, yeah, we, we deserve it. We are the unique people of God, unlike anybody else. God blesses us because of who we are. And modern Baptists can also pick up the same theme, right? God blesses us for who we are. We are the unique people of God like nobody else. And in the process, that way of thinking is unwittingly falling into the same error as the prosperity gospel, it still makes you the end goal of all that God does. Of course, nobody here this morning thinks that way. We know God's not a servant to be commanded. We know that we don't deserve God's blessings. We would never think that, so we engage in a little more biblically accurate thinking and say something more sanctified, like, well, God blesses us because he is pleased to do it, not because we deserve it. God blesses us so that we will praise and glorify him, and that is better. But according to Psalm 67, it's still not quite right. According to Psalm 67, you and your praise are not the end goal of what God does. The message of this psalm can be stated 
this way. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. You're going to get tired of hearing me say that this morning. This is a truth that is very easily forgotten by modern Baptists as easily as it was by ancient Hebrews. And yet it permeates this hymn book of theirs. Here here it is, as plain as day in Psalm 67. Look at verses 1 and 2. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that, or in order that, your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. The Lord's blessings to his people are given with the intention of extending out So his praises will be raised among all people. Meaning the blessings that God gives you in your life are not about you. You are not the end goal of all that God does. The prayer of this psalm is to ask God's blessings on his people in order that he might bless the rest of the world through his people and bring praises to his name in the process not only is this message locked away in the lyrics of this hebrew hymn book it's also found in the most foundational promises of god to their nation as we've begun matthew we've had a chance to contemplate the abrahamic covenant and i'm going to read just a small portion of that and i want you to listen for this same message that the lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people genesis chapter 12 verses 2 and 3 as god makes this promise to abraham he says i will make you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing i will bless those who bless you And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't it a simple promise of the Abrahamic covenant to say, I'm going to bless you so that I can bless others through you. God called Abraham to to follow him and to worship him in order to create more followers and more worshipers throughout all the nations. This psalm is appealing for the fulfillment of that covenant, and ultimately Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant. Now that's a lot of introduction before digging into the text, but I want to make clear that that's the message of this psalm. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. And so as we go through this text, I want us to see, well, what's the, what's the implication of that on our own lives? We We're going to look at this psalm in three parts. I want to see the call for blessing in verse 1, the consequence of blessing in verses 2 through 4, and the celebration of blessings in verses 5 through 7. The call for blessings, verse 1. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. This prayer for God's blessings might sound familiar to you. It comes almost directly from Numbers chapter 6 as part of the prayer that Israel's priests were to pray over Israel's children. 
Like, look, you know we don't baptize infants here, but you have heard me pray this prayer over infants born to our people. Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The prayer is, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The people who were singing this harvest song in ancient Israel would have immediately recognized verse 1 as a repetition of that priestly prayer. That prayer came as a direct command from God. Moses didn't invent it and say, this sounds like a good prayer. God gave it to Moses. Moses just wrote it down. Much like the model prayer in which Jesus taught his disciples and said, pray like this. Back in number six, God said, this is what Israel's priests should pray over Israel's children. And when we pray what it is that God tells us to pray, we can do it with confidence that he's going to hear us and honor our prayer. He promises, verse 1, to be merciful to us. That word merciful there is actually the, the Hebrew word for gracious. You need God's grace. You need God's mercy. And he is a God who Ephesians 2 says is rich in mercy and exceedingly rich in grace. He promises to bless us in the context of this psalm with material blessings. Right? This, is, this is a harvest song. Again, verse 6. The earth will yield its increase. There is nothing wrong with asking God for our material needs. Jesus taught us to ask for our daily bread. This prayer for blessing is recognizing that all things we have come from God. This is asking for his hand on our life, his fingerprint on every moment. But the third part of verse 1, I think, is the real beauty of the prayer. It is asking for God's blessings, but it does so in a way that shows his material blessings are not primary. Listen again. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Listen, the blessing of God is not just that he gives us stuff, it is that he freely gives us himself. In in the poetry of Psalms, the idea of God's face is a metaphor for his presence. And in Psalm 44, there is the question of why God has turned his face. Why has God seemingly removed his presence? This describes God's face shining on us. It describes his his presence is the, the shining like the, the warmth of the sun providing both light and life. This is, of course, where the prosperity gospel fails because it asks for God's blessings without giving any desire to God's presence. It's also asking for God to give you stuff, but it's never asking for him to give you himself, which is the greatest blessing. But giving giving himself is what God has done. Not only has God willingly given himself to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given himself for us. This is the primary gift of God. This is the greatest blessing. And all, all other 
material blessings are meaningless without the gift of the Lord Jesus. So in verse 1, there is this call for blessing, a prayer, asking God to bless your life. And in that prayer, it's asking for the grace and mercy of God. It's asking for material blessings from God and for the very presence of God himself as your light and life. But again, why should God give that to you? What is the goal of God in blessing his people? Well, the Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. So look at verse 2 through 4 and see the consequence of blessing. That, or so that, or in order that, your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. It's good and right for us to ask for God's blessings, to plead for his mercy and grace, to request material provision, to, to appeal for his very presence of his shining glory in our lives. But if your motivation for asking God's blessing is so that you can store up those blessings in some secret corner of your life, if you want to carry them around in a suitcase and hoard them, you have not honored God by asking for him to bless you. God blesses his people so that his name will be praised among all people. By the way, all kinds of people is what is intended here. Note the word people in verse 3. And it's re verse 3 is repeated exactly the same way in verse 5. It is plural. It is the Hebrew word am. And it, it means peoples. We might say people groups today. Or all kinds of people in all kinds of places. This is the purpose of God's blessing. In verse 2, that, that your way may be known on earth. The ways of God are revealed through the word of God. The psalm asks God's blessing so that the blessed children of God can declare God's way and God's word throughout the earth. It speaks of verse 2, your salvation among all nations. This is a, a prelude to the Great Commission in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus speaks to his church and uh, tells it to carry the gospel to all kinds of people in all kinds of places, right? Go make disciples of all nations is an echo of this psalm. <laughs> if God has blessed you, and he has, the consequence of that blessing is for you to make his way and his salvation known among the nations. You alone are not the end goal of God's blessings. He has blessed you in order to bless others through you. Listen, this is revealed through Scripture as the purpose and plan of God from the beginning. It's not unique to this psalm. The underlying purpose of all that God does is that He will be known and praised throughout all the earth. As we said, this, this echoes the promise to Abraham as God told him, I will bless you in order that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 
God's deliverance of the Hebrews from Egyptian slavery was in Exodus 14, verse 4, quote, that the Egyptians might know that I am God. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8, describes God gave the law of Moses to Israel so that when the nations around them saw it, they would praise his wisdom. Psalm 23, you're familiar with Psalm 23. It has the same idea. Why does God shepherd you? Why does he make you to lie down in green pastures and lead you beside still waters and restore your soul? Why is it that he leads you in the paths of righteousness? What's it say next? For his name's sake. This carries through to the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus promises to bless his church with power from the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of that is so that you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. That is the continuing purpose and plan of God until the completion of God's plan in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. When it describes a great multitude which no one can number of all the nations and tribes and people and languages, cry out with a loud voice singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The blessings God gives to his people are given so that his people will then induce praises to God's name from among all people. You are not the end goal of God's blessing to you. You should thank God and you should praise his name for all the blessings he's bestowed, but those blessings should find their way out from us in sort of ever-extending circles of praise. He needs to be known in the world as the one who delivers his people from slavery. He needs to be known as the Lord who saves his people from the flood. He has to be declared as that God of light and life who alone can give shining warmth to his people. We should proclaim him, according to verse 4, as the righteous judge and the ruler of all nations. And by the way, verse 4 is just shockingly countercultural for both the people of Israel and the world at large. To hear verse 4 that the nations might be glad and sing for joy in God that he would judge the people righteously and govern all the nations of the earth for for Israel this is countercultural because Israel despised as a whole despised the nations of the earth. They thought those Gentile dogs out there, they are hateful and they are worthless. But even as they thought that, here their inspired hymnal taught them to sing, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. But it was countercultural outside of Israel as well. The vast majority of the world believed in a system essentially of national gods. They believed in many gods who each ruled over individual nations and generally resided inside the political borders, right? They believed in geographical gods. This is the god of this area. 
Well, this psalm calls on Yahweh's people to declare his way and his salvation to all kinds of people in all kinds of places because, according to verse 4, he judges everyone everywhere and is the governor of all the nations of the earth. And how easily we can look at the Hebrew people of the Old Testament or the Jewish mindset that we read in the Gospels and we can scold them for their hatred of the Gentiles. We would say, well, you should have known better. You should have been paying attention to your own scripture. And that's true. But we also have to ask ourselves, are there nations on earth that we despise? Or are there even people in our own nation that we consider our enemies so that we are more interested in hoarding God's blessing to us than we are in seeking the conversion of those people to sing God's praises. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. Why should God bless us if we're not going to use God's blessings for God's purposes? Look at the celebration of blessings in verse 5 through 7. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Okay, we already noted that verse 5 is an exact repeat of verse 3, right? I mean, Compare verse 3 and verse 5, they are identical to one another. But a quick lesson on the poetry of Psalms is going to help us understand the writer's meaning by that. Hebrew poetry, these Psalms, are not written like our songs. So when we see a repeated when we see a repeated verse, we're thinking of our songs like, oh, well, that's the chorus. This is not the way Hebrew poetry works. We write songs using rhyming words, words that sound alike so they match with each other. They wrote songs using rhyming ideas, thoughts that were expressing the same thing. It's called parallelism, essentially rhyming thoughts or a repetition of related ideas. And so when the psalmist says in verse 3, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 4. He follows that with a statement of, O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then he repeats verse 3 down in verse 5. But he follows that up that time with the material blessings of harvest, right? Then the earth shall yield her increase. And when you see the way that the psalmist is doing this, this, these ideas in parallel, I think it is very likely that the ancient Hebrews who sang this song thinking of the material blessings of bringing in their crops in verse 6, what the writer intends for us to think about is how that harvest isn't just a material harvest. He's written this in a way to make us see the parallel between that good harvest and the idea of let the nations be glad and sing for joy. 
Y'all, I don't think this is a coincidence. The Lord Jesus uses this same kind of imagery as this missionary psalm when he talks to his disciples in John 4, telling them that their calling is to be laborers for the harvest. At the time where Jesus uses that symbolism in John 4, there was actually this mass of humanity that was walking down the hillside toward them out of a village of Samaria. And Jesus told his disciples to lift up your eyes and look because the fields are ready to harvest. He wasn't telling them, you got to get ready to go pick some corn. He was telling them, these people are a righteous harvest. And so I think maybe here's what the psalmist means by this parallel, this rhyming idea in his psalm in verses 3 and 5. Just like God blesses the farmer with seed, and then that farmer's responsible to take that blessing and to spread that seed, and to later on know that here comes the harvest of the crop, and this is all to the praise of God. Just like that, all of God's blessings are to be used the same way. They do not end with you the end goal of God's blessing is not just you they are given to you so that they can be used by you to bring in a harvest of worshipers all to the praise of God the cycle pictured here calls us to celebrate God's blessings I asked you at the beginning to listen to this psalm as it expresses itself inward and then outward and then upward and so now i just want you to see it again do you hear this there's this focus that's inward what we want we want god to bless us the focus that is outward is so that his word and his way will spread his salvation will go to the nations those nations will be glad and then there is the focus upward to what god deserves Let all the peoples praise you, O God, as there is this great harvest for his glory. And so as we wrap this up, why would God bless you? Why would God bless us? We've said it's good and right for us to ask for God's blessings, but not if we're going to misuse them. And this is a danger that even the New Testament describes. James chapter 4, verse 3, he tells us that sometimes we ask for blessings from God and we do not receive them because, paraphrased, he says, you are asking amiss because you want to spend them for your own selfish desires. We need to ask for God's blessings so we can use them for God's purposes. In Psalm 67, his purposes are clear. Just look through this psalm quickly and note that there are three clear purposes of why God would bless us. It's his purpose to be known by all nations. Verse 2, that your way may be known in the earth, your salvation among all nations. It is God's expressed purpose that all kinds of people in all kinds of places would hear about his mercy and grace, would hear about the message of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that through hearing what he has done, they would sing praises for who he is. Second, it is his purpose to be worshipped by all nations. 
Verses 3 and 4, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. No disciple of Jesus Christ should be satisfied until all the nations find joy in Christ. That starts with our own nation. It starts with where you are, your friends and your family and your co-workers. And then it radiates out in ever-expanding circles as the gospel of Jesus Christ gets declared to the ends of the earth according to his own command so that those people would worship him. Seeing that worship in others, y'all, it should be the desire of our hearts. You should want to see that because that's what's best for them. There is no greater joy than worshiping the Lord Jesus in spirit and in truth. So you should want to see them worship him for the good of themselves. But you should want it because of your love for the Lord Jesus. Christians who refuse to proclaim the gospel to others have too high an opinion of themselves. Listen, y'all, I want others to worship Jesus because I love him and I am keenly aware that he deserves more and better than just me. Third, it is his purpose to be feared by the nations. Verse 7, God shall bless us, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. This fear is reverential awe. It might begin with fear of his judgment and fear of his wrath, but the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. It progresses to respect and obedience and awe-inspired worship. God will bless his people who seek to use his blessings for his purposes. Too many times we ask for God's blessings as if each blessing comes from God as some kind of payment for what we've done. God's blessings are not compensation for services rendered. Psalm 67 tells us we should consider every blessing of God that we receive as an advance to make him known and worshipped and feared so that he would be praised and his, his praises would be sung among all nations. The Lord blesses his people so that his praises will be sung among all people. If we're not engaged in that, then we have to ask ourselves the question, why would God bless us? Bless us. 